And now, with sound investing, here's Paul Merriman. I'm going to spend most of the time on this podcast uh, answering questions that uh, I'm trying to catch up on. But before I do, uh, I would like to to do something I used to do every week on my radio show for over a decade, and that is to do an outrage of the week. I am not um, a fan of insurance companies. I think there are insurance products that are very important, very fair, But there are many more, I believe, that are probably misleading and more hurtful than helpful. And in fact, as you may recall, within the last year, I fought hard to get some money back to a couple who had been sold one of the most outrageous products for their retirement. The bottom line is that they would have ended up with probably half from their retirement investments Uh, that they should have had. So I went to bat, I helped them, we got the money back. Uh, So I've got a bee in my bonnet about insurance companies. Uh, And yet I held lots of term insurance when I was younger, so I'm not against insurance. And I often recommend single premium annuities, uh, life annuities, Uh, for people who really should not be invested in the stock and the bond market and have probably undersaved and need the highest possible monthly payout they can get. But when I saw this headline, investors are getting ripped off on index fund fees, lawsuits say. When I saw that headline and then I started reading and only to, to, to find out that this being ripped off was not an insurance company ripping off their clients. It was an insurance company likely ripping off their employees. Now, I have often said that there's three levels of ethics and competence that we want when we deal with somebody in this industry. That is ethics and competence uh, at the level of the personal advisor who's taking care of us. I don't expect, for example, to deal directly with the head of dimensional funds in order to work with their products. I don't, my money is being managed by my old firm, but I work with one of their advisors. And Tyler, my advisor, well, he has to answer to the head of that Merriman company. So I want a good advisor who's competent and ethical, and I want them to work for a competent and ethical firm, and I want there to be the firm to offer competent ethical products. Now, it's not unusual for an advisor to be uh, less than the very most competent. There are thousands of advisors who are probably relatively mediocre, just as there are many who are top of the line. But, but it wouldn't surprise me if out there there are some advisors who aren't necessarily giving the best advice. But I do expect the big firms, whether they're brokerage firms or insurance companies or, or banks, I, I expect that they are going to be smart enough to know that if they do something that's not in the best interest of the client, well, they know they're doing that, and then they do that because they want to maximize uh, their, uh, their own profits. But I guess we can give them that because if they don't do that, what do they do? Tell everybody to go to Vanguard and buy index funds? But when they're working for their employees, when they're offering investments within their uh, company 401k plan, uh, that is, in fact, I mean, everybody in the, uh, amongst the group of trustees uh, that are letting an, an S&P 500 fund in with 35 basis points instead of using an S&P 500 fund at, uh, at, at Vanguard or even Fidelity or probably many of the major suppliers of the S&P 500, then there's something fishy. And uh, this company, they evidently got uh, 
got caught with her hand in the uh, in the proverbial cookie jar. So in this particular case, and this is uh, out of a an article uh, from Investment News, and I have recommended to people that they uh, subscribe. It's free uh, online to Investment News because you know you get a chance to read this kind of stuff yourself. I, I know you're in the not in the industry, but you're using the industry. And the better you understand how sometimes the industry misuses people, the smarter you're going to be, and the more devoted you're going to be to doing this, where people are in fact working for you. But in this case, uh, it says there were allegations of excessive index fund fees in retirement plans, uh, and they were part of a proposed class action lawsuit brought by New York Life Insurance, not New York Life Insurance Company, but New York Life Insurance employees against the company. And the bottom line is, according to the complaint, and as it's described here in Investment News, the mainstay S&P 500 index fund charged 35 basis points when similar funds from Vanguard Group could be had for two basis points and from State Street Global Advisors for four basis points, two one-hundredths of one percent and four one-hundredths of one percent. In other words, they could they could actually just just reach out and pick up another one third of one percent a year. Well, it turns out now this is not going to shock you, I'm sure, but the mainstay family of funds uh, it's owned by the New York Life and its subsidiaries. And uh, according here's a quote. We have a robust process, including the use of an independent consultant for selecting investment options to include on the platform, and we are in full compliance with the duties we owe to our retirement plan participants, New York Life said in an emailed statement about the lawsuit. Now, now wait a minute. Let me just see if I can, if I can get this. I know that a young fellow who uh, lived with us for about well, six, seven months here on Bainbridge Island because he was looking for a job and he wanted to go to work for a good firm in the financial community. And uh, by the way, he's been dating our daughter, so we were happy to have him here and get to know him. But he got a job at Vanguard. And I'm going to tell you, without any question, that his first week on the job with Vanguard, he knew the difference between a 35 basis point management fee and a two or four basis uh, man uh, management fee uh, with other suppliers other than New York Life. The very people who own Mainstay are then ending up for the employees at New York Life getting Mainstay a third of 1% more Per month, basically. So they, I don't know, what, how can they possibly claim that they didn't know? Oh my God! You mean there are index funds with lower fees than mainstream? Mains, mains. What is? It? I'm sorry, mainstay. Well, of course we know they know better than that, and uh, it will be interesting to see uh, what happens. Um, I, one of the things that I recommend when people are making a judgment, whether it's about New York Life Insurance Company or a brokerage company, um, is, is to, do, to do a search uh, for the name of that company and lawsuits. Or in the brokerage industry, I will normally say, put in the name of the company and the word fraud. And when you find out that the person you're doing business with is working for a company that is relatively consistently in the news for doing something wrong. And now in this case, I am sure that these consultants said it was quite okay to pay more for this because, because, huh, 
I'm not sure what I could say. Uh, because the people who run it, you'll see them at lunch in the cafeteria. Ah, no, that wouldn't do well. But you can see there is no excuse, at least certainly not one that I know. The fact that somebody else recommended it means nothing when you know better. There's that famous quote from uh, uh, John Bogle, uh, something like, I'm paraphrasing, it's amazing how little a person will know, a salesperson, I think, in his quote, if you pay them enough not to know it. This sounds like one of those cases. So I find that to be an outrage, and I promise I will keep you up to date when I hear more about how that particular lawsuit is going. I can almost promise it will be settled quickly uh, out of court. Now, let me get to my Q&As that i got to get caught up on here. The first question is, I am a first-time investor. I find the investment process very challenging. I want to invest all my money into stock funds, but I am very uncomfortable with losing most of my savings. What first book do you recommend? What can you say that will give me the strength to take the high risk of stocks? Well, let me talk about the books because that one I think is relatively easy. I think as a start, we would read Mutual Funds for Dummies. I think that's a fine book. I even picked up some uh, uh, new knowledge about mutual funds when I read it. I also recommend uh, the uh, Your Money and Your Brain by Jason Zweig. And the reason I recommend that is because it's all about the psychological end of investing. And I suspect that your problem is not knowing how what stocks are, what mutual funds are, and how they work. I would say most of your challenges are around the whole area of the psychological hurdle of successful investing. And I think that uh, his his book is a, a terrific description uh, and fun to read, by the way. it's uh, While it does address a number of studies out of the academic community, uh, he tells the story in an interesting uh, and uh, entertaining way. But those books are not going to give you the strength to take the high risks of stocks because I can almost guarantee it, and I'm assuming you're a young person, probably 20s, 30s, I can guarantee between now and when you retire that you are likely to go through mm, every 10 years uh, at least a 30% decline Now, that won't happen every 10 years because from 1990 through 99, I don't even think they had a 10% decline. But then in from 2000 through 2009, there were two 50% declines. So you're going to live through those. To the extent that you have all your money in stocks, which if you're young is probably what you should do, uh, then I, I I think you're going to have to face this problem. And the time that it's going to become most difficult, it's not when the market is high, but when the market is low and you're losing money. Because just like looking down a well, you know there's a whole lot further down to go. So what do we do if we really can't overcome that fear? Well, first of all, Let me just say that all the evidence from the past, all of it would say, if you have 40 years ahead of you, what happens to the stock market in the next 10 years or even the next 20 years uh, is not as important as what happens later when the size of your account has grown to be more substantial. In fact, in those early years, it would be great if you were to lose half of your money and you keep pouring the money in, investing on a monthly basis, and taking advantage of those lower prices. That's all good news, not bad. But if you still can't overcome it, let me recommend that you look at a balanced fund. A balanced fund that is a combination of stocks 
and bonds. Now, one of the most famous ones is the Wellington Fund at Vanguard. And I believe, if I remember right, that it lost about 18% in uh, 2008. Uh, and it came roaring back the next month, next year, not like the stocks, the funds that were all stocks, because the ones that were all stocks went down about 40, in some cases 50%, but they, they came back up much more the following year than uh, Wellington did. But maybe the softer ride, the lower, the lower highs and the higher lows would be more comfortable. Now, what that may mean, and I'd like you to get serious about this, if you were about to invest $3,000 a year, I think you should make the commitment since you're going to be more conservative and you're going to likely make less money. Let's put more than 3000 in. Let's make up for the fact that you're taking less risk by putting more money away. That would be the conservative thing to do. In fact, that's two conservative things to do. One is to raise the amount of money you're investing. And two is to invest with a more conservative fund. Now, in the coming months, please, please expect an article about a lifetime of investing in a 60-40 strategy. And we'll look at the best of times, the worst of times, the best 40 years, the worst 40 years, and I think you'll find it very interesting. But you're still going to have to face the reality that whatever part of your portfolio is in stocks, whether it's 10% or 90%, that that equity portion of the portfolio is going to take a drubbing from time to time. Next question. Why don't you create a portfolio of ETFs that picks the best available, regardless of whether they are commission-free or not? Now, I understand that the need for that portfolio. And I'm uh, working on a way to be able to do that and to offer you a way to do it that would eliminate almost all of the commissions in trading amongst the different ETFs. Because the problem with, with dealing with ETFs that have commissions is you're going to have to pay something for the trades. And uh, I've tried to eliminate that in the hopes that particularly for smaller investors, they keep those kinds of costs to an absolute minimum. Uh, but I promise, by the end of this year, uh, I, will, I will provide what I think is the, the best uh, equity portfolio, uh, diversified equity portfolio. In fact, what I've got in my mind to provide you with, can't promise it, but I'm working on it, I'm going to give you three best equity portfolios, one for conservative investors, one for those with moderate risk tolerance, and one for those with high risk tolerance. I want to try to pinpoint all equity portfolios for different levels of risk. Like in that last, uh, uh, that last question about the, the concern for having the market collapse uh, totally, I've got to figure out how to make that person comfortable to take as much risk as is appropriate. All right, uh, question number three. Your recommendations for my 401k are evidently out of date. How can I get you to update your recommendations for the new offerings? Well, I must admit that has been a weak aspect of... Uh, of, of our website. We have those 100 companies and we have the recommendations for the the funds that they had at the time uh, that that came out with that list. And those those investment opportunities have changed. And the companies have, have taken some off and put some new ones on or in some cases maybe even gone totally to a, a different approach. They might have gone from some all actively managed kind of a portfolio to, to focusing only on indexes. All that is possible. And I'm 
embarrassed, actually, uh, by that shortfall on our website. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I would like all of you, if you work for a major company, to take a minute and, uh, and look at, if your company is on my 401k list, look under recommendations on my home page, and then you'll scroll down to 401k, and there'll be a list alphabetically of the companies. But take a look and see if the funds I'm recommending are actually even on the list of funds that are now available with your company. And if not, if you'd be kind enough to send me that list, uh, I will, uh, uh, I'll get on that. Uh, the solution, I thought, would be to find somebody who would be willing to work for nothing, as I do, uh, and uh, other people do who, have, uh, uh, who are helping me to build this uh, uh, website with some great information. Uh, so far, I haven't found that person, but if I can't get them, I'll do it myself. But please send the oh, and send them to Paul at paulmerriman.com. Put the subject line 401k IBM or 401k Boeing or whatever the company might be, so it'll be easy for me uh, to spot. But I do want to get those right. Uh, question number four. I have read that Fidelity has lowered their management fees for many of their funds and ETFs. I am presently using Vanguard commission-free ETFs. Does it make sense to move my money to Fidelity? Well, if you're going to use the ETFs that I recommend, uh, yes and no. Uh, because there could be a reason to... But there's also a reason not to. If we're going to look only at expenses, then the expenses of the van of the Fidelity ETFs are about one-tenth of one percent higher uh, than the Vanguard uh, ETFs. So uh, that would tell you stay right where you are. On the other hand, Fidelity does have access to some asset classes that are not available at, uh, uh, at Vanguard. They have some micro cap and they have some international large cap value. Now, I'm not sure that we're going to see B Vanguard adding micro cap, but I would, I would bet that soon we'll see Vanguard uh, offering the uh, large cap international value uh, asset class. I'm not sure uh, why they don't have it, actually, but that's also an asset class uh, that they don't have as an index uh, fund uh, uh, with their mutual funds either. So, so I would just stay right where you are for the time being. Uh, number five, my 401k does not offer any index funds. I don't think that it's fair that I have to choose from among poor choices. What could I say that might make the company's owner offer better funds? Well, I certainly don't want to encourage you to threaten <laughs> threaten your owner with um, uh, with litigation, um, but the reality is that that companies are being attacked legally for not offering uh, what's in the best interest of the, uh, of the employees. At a minimum, I think what you could do is you could, you, you could find a, a great article on indexing, and you could uh, uh, tell the company that you would like to add indexes to the portfolio, and it would be important that they be low-cost indexes, uh, as the big one of the big advantages of index funds would be their low cost, and that for, according to the academics, that every time we are able to get our management fees down in the same asset class, you know, by the way, this is true of active versus and passive. 
you are going to likely have a higher rate of return. And those of us who are working very hard for you, boss, we believe you would do anything that you could to help us achieve our long-term goals. So an article, a book, I uh, made a presentation um, a month or so ago uh, to a, uh, um, a nonprofit that had millions and millions of dollars in actively managed funds. And I wanted them to understand uh, how, how powerful and how helpful index funds would be to improve what the people who were giving money to that nonprofit uh, could accomplish. And so I gave each one of them a copy of uh, the uh, book by John Bogle, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. I also gave them all a copy of Financial Freedom Forever, uh, which is my book. And, uh, and all I was trying to do was to help them head in the right direction. I'm not even trying to sell them anything. I just think that they should want to do the best for the people that they represent. And that's no different than the situation that you're in. Number six. And I get a lot of these kind of, uh, of questions. Uh, this one was short and sweet. Question, a couple of these look really good. I want to know your thoughts. And what she provided were four different uh, REITs. One is called Physician's Realty. One is called Stag Industrial. Yeah, each one has a relatively specific niche in the REIT market. There's nothing wrong with any of them. But this would be true of REITs. It would be true of large cap or small cap or any of these asset classes. What we're looking for is a broadly diversified portfolio. There is always going to be one or more REITs one or more small cap value companies that are going to just be knocking the lights out. They're going to have produced great returns. And the idea is to, believe it or not, is to ignore those amazing returns and just stay broadly diversified. Uh, question number seven. How is the mix of stocks changed in an ETF? Take a small cap value ETF. When a stock in the mix is no longer a value stock anymore, say they've grown and their value is now considered that of uh, beyond a value stock, how are they changed out, sold, and how are new stocks added to the mix? Uh, and how often does this happen? Uh, most of these the ETFs that I've been recommending at, at TD Ameritrade and Schwab and Fidelity and Vanguard, uh, they are tracking indexes. And uh, those indexes are normally changed uh, once or twice a year. So in theory, we would expect the uh, ETF the portfolio to change as the changes are made uh, to these uh, uh, to these major make um, indexes like the Russell 2000 or the the Russell 1000. Uh, so that's going to happen as those indexes change. Now there are other people who actively manage uh, an ETF. In that case, I have no idea what the answer is. Uh, I also know that uh, if we look at dimensional funds and the way they build their mutual fund indexes, they aren't truly pure indexes. They are asset class funds. And so what they do is they hold a certain asset class, but they don't try to have an exact balance 
to make it look exactly like the index because there's a cost to do that that they think is better left in the pocket of the investors. But when they sell a, uh, a stock in that portfolio at DFA, they may watch it even as it climbs out of value into, uh, into growth, let's say. Uh, they will continue to track it until it, it, uh, there's a change in the momentum because they may not want to sell that stock that is, in fact, moving until it starts to move down. Now, I'm sure their, their process is much more com- complex than that, but it doesn't have to be necessarily when somebody changes a company in an index um, to accomplish what they're trying to do in terms of giving you asset class exposure. Number eight, what do you do with the extra money that you take out of your IRA to meet your yearly required minimum distribution? Do you save the extra cash or reinvest it in the same portfolio as you have in the IRA? Well, I love that question because certainly the answer is it depends. Uh, I have money that I use to live on. My wife and I used to live on. Uh, If we do, in fact, have uh, excess money, uh, we try to spend that by giving it away uh, to nonprofits. But if I were to invest it, would I invest it for me and my wife for our risk tolerance? Or let's say it's money that's going to be left to children. Should I be investing for their risk tolerance? So, and even there, because I have children that are around 50 and then I have children in their early 20s, with the ones that I'm investing for those in their early 20s, I should probably be pedal to the metal. All equities without any question. For the money that might be for the uh, older children, maybe I should have some fixed income in the portfolio. So it really depends on whether that money is for you or for somebody else. But it could also depend on the tax implications because if you are taking that money not spending the money that you get with the required minimum distribution, and now you're going to invest that fully taxable, you would be better served to have that money in equities tax-wise than fixed income because the equities could more or less compound tax-free unless they were paying dividends uh, or unless the fund was making distributions of profits they took. But to the extent that you are in a highly tax-efficient, maybe an ETF, um, then you would be more tax-efficient with equities than you would with fixed income, unless, of course, you put the fixed income into into tax-exempt bond funds or ETF. So the answer, as is so often the case, is it depends. Number nine, thank you for your dedication to informing investors looking to best prepare themselves for a secure financial future. I'm extremely grateful for your articles and podcasts. That's very kind. Thank you. Since becoming recently employed, I am seeking your advice on my portfolio as I look to work with a professional advisor in the near future. Well, let me just first say that I can't give personal advice. Um, That's what I did when I was an investment advisor. But before I would do it, I had to know a lot about them. And uh, and I don't know a lot about you. And even if I did, uh, as I say, I'm no longer licensed. I'm no longer insured. Uh, and uh, I've devoted myself to just more of a general education, but I'm going to give you in a second a very specific answer I think you're going to like. Would you please evaluate my current portfolio and elaborate on your suggestions on what you believe my next steps should be? 
whether to add current investments or branch out to other funds. I've attached a spreadsheet. He goes on, oh, and then I like this. I am 24 years old with a salary in the fifty-five dollars to $60,000 range. In my current situation, I can withstand market downturns without a major career change that will change my earnings expectancy. My goal would be for a normal retirement age range. Now, here's what he sent me. He sent me a list of the funds that he owns. First of all, I want to applaud this young man because they're all Vanguard funds. Now, I think he's serious about wanting my help. But the fact is, I already gave it to him in my articles, in my free recommendations at Vanguard, whether for ETFs or the mutual funds. But while I look at his portfolio, he has a health care fund, he has a total market index fund, he has a value index fund, so do I, a small cap index fund, so do I. He does not have a small cap value fund. He does not have an emerging market fund. In fact, if he wants my help, it's free. But the reality is you got to find it. And the other reality is maybe I haven't made it that easy to find. So go to paulmerriman.com. Look at the uh, recommendation link. Open that up. There'll be a drop-down box there. And you can just click on ETFs or you can click on mutual funds. In both cases, that will take you right to my Vanguard recommendations. Now, I have also written uh, one of my free books is 101 Investment Decisions Guaranteed to Change Your Financial Future. At the end of that book, I talk about 10 different strategies to figure out how much in stocks and how much in bonds. And that's what a 24-year-old now has to decide. In that book, I give 10 different strategies, 10 ways. Now, a lot of people would say, subtract your age from 100, and that's how much you should have in uh, inequities. So would I recommend a 24-year-old have 76% of their money in equities and 24% in fixed income? Absolutely not. I would hope that that young person could stay in all equities until they are 35 years old, at least. And uh, so there is at least a start to some, some good advice. Uh, At some point, and I'm not sure where to tell you to do this, Um, because you have enough money already that if you really are kind of lost in the process, you might want to uh, um, work with an hourly advisor, somebody who could look at your total situation and tell you what to do. But I've got a hunch you'll figure it out on your own. Now you know where to go. Good question, by the way. Number 11. This one was uh, really fun to follow up on. Somebody asked me about the um, the mutual fund store, and I had known and had some dealings with Adam Bold many, many years ago when I would uh, regularly do a radio show uh, down in Kansas City. And uh, he was a bright young guy, enjoyed my conversations with him. Uh, we differ a lot in what we believe in. I, I'm an index guy, and he's more of an active management guy. But somebody asked what I think of the service they provide, because they do take smaller accounts. And so I decided to call, get a hold of the people at the mutual fund store, and uh, to set up a meeting I told him, by the way, what I, that I was in the industry and I was looking into their company to respond to questions from uh, readers and listeners to the podcast. And uh, so they set up a meeting and on, on, on the phone. 
And the next day when I called, or two days later when I called uh, to talk to the manager of a local mutual fund store, um, I was told that he was busy and he'd get back to me. And I am here I am, uh, maybe a week later, uh, still waiting for them to get back to me. I don't think they want to get back to me. But here's where this question came, and it's an important one. Part of the process when you call and ask the people at the mutual fund store or any other firm like them, they're going to follow up with an attempt to make you a client. This is not evil. This is all American. And what they offer is that you can sign up for a free, free and caps, portfolio review. And here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a one-on-one -on -one meeting with an advisor to review your current investments and two, a personalized plan that reflects your unique situation and retirement goals and helps show you how to reach them. So do I think you should go through this with the people at the mutual fund store or anybody else who offers it? And the answer is, I would not know because unless they already agree with what I think is in the best interest of an investor, and by the way, mine are, my books are not the only books or my articles not the only articles about the right way to do this, but if you believe in indexing, if you believe in low expenses, if you believe in asset allocation, if you don't believe in beating the market by trying to find an active manager, even if the active manager has been beating the market for five years, before Bill Miller fell apart, 15 years he beat the S&P 500, 15 years in a row, and then he failed and became the worst of the bunch. Now, I'm not saying that the funds they're going to recommend are bad funds. In fact, I can almost guarantee they're, pro they're going to be rated five-star or four-star by Morningstar because it's probably going to be based on recent results, which are statistically meaningless. And if they got those good results because they happen to be in the right asset class, so would an index fund have done well in that asset class, but at lower expenses. And by the way, maybe Adam Bold's organization has gone all indexing. They don't believe in beating the market anymore. I don't know. They don't want to talk to me. So if you are going to get a free meeting at the Adam Bold organization, the, the mutual fund store. Um, and he's done, he has done so well in terms of growing his business. But just because someone's big doesn't make them better. Even though Merrill Lynch was bigger than the Merriman company when I was there, and they still are. Merrill Lynch is still bigger than the Merriman Company. Just because Merrill Lynch is a hundred or a thousand times bigger doesn't make them better. In fact, from what I know, they're not as good as the Merriman Company and a lot of other companies like them. My goal for you is to be in the hands of the very best. If you're looking for help for somebody to give you personal guidance, I am not the best for personal guidance. I'm not the worst because I'll get you headed in the right direction. But I would hope that if you're going to get a free portfolio review, it will be with somebody whose belief system is the same as yours. Now, I do not believe that the mutual fund store believes in day trading. I do not believe that. But what if they did? Would you still want to go in and have that one-on-one -on -one meeting? 
I don't know what they advise in terms of how much in large and small and value and growth. I was hoping to find that out. But I would say this of anybody who offers a free portfolio review. That, of course, is a marketing technique. I use the same technique. Here's what I used to do. I would do a public workshop. I did this for almost 30 years. I would do a public workshop and show you how to do this all on your own. I even gave the names of funds that you could invest in at Vanguard, at Fidelity, at T. Rowe Price. And everybody, they didn't, nobody paid a penny to come to my workshops. They were all free. Just as almost everything on my website is free, other than that $10 video, two and a half hours. Anyway, I want you to get advice from the best source that you can. And so I want you to make sure whoever's offering a free look, uh, I want you to make sure they already agree with you. I know a couple that went to a workshop and they were offered a free consultation. They were smart people. They did intelligent things almost everywhere else in their life. I can't say in all parts of their life, but the parts that I knew about they did except when they went into a salesperson's office and the door was closed behind them. And what that salesperson did was absolutely abhorrent. So do me a favor. If you do get a recommendation from the people at the mutual fund store, would you send it to me? I'd love to see it. I really would. Paul Merriman or Paul at paulmerriman.com. I would really like to see it. All right, number 12, and this is the last one on this podcast. I am a 61-year-old longtime fan and recommend your website and podcast to my friends and especially to new young investors. I do have a question for you, though. I'm trying to figure out whether the ultimate buy-and-hold portfolio or four-fund combo has the best long-term record. I've tried to glean the information from your articles, but their respective performance tables span different time frames. I'd really appreciate your insight on whether one trounces the other for the stock portion of a portfolio, or is it basically a tie. The four-fund combo is definitely easier to rebalance, but does it hold its own against the mighty ultimate portfolio? Thanks again for all the wisdom you so generously share, and you are certainly welcome. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, okay, don't know the future, know a lot about the past. It always feels better to have more information than less. And in the case of the four-fund solution, we have data going all the way back to 1928. So we can show the best and the worst one-year period. We can show the best and the worst 15-year period, the best and the worst 40-year period. And for the purpose of, of planning, you might decide, I'm going to use the worst because that's the worst I should have. Well, maybe it won't be the worst. On the other hand, a study shows the average 40-year period of, uh, of all of these uh, strategies, whether it be the U.S. equity asset classes individually or as the four-fund solution. Now, then you look at the returns of the ultimate buy-and-hold portfolio or strategy. And what you see is, is that by adding the international asset classes, uh, the return goes up substantially. And uh, so the question is, let's say for this, just for the sake of discussion, it meant that you were likely to earn an extra 
half of 1%. Well, as most of you know, if you look at the distribution tables, where you can see the implication of an extra half of 1%, depending how long you live, and this person's only 61, it could be a big deal. Uh, on the other hand, half of your portfolio in internationals can be very unsettling when things are struggling internationally, whether it's because of a strong dollar or because of problems in those economies. And so the person who has an all-U.S. portfolio when the market is down and dirty is not going to feel as much anxiety as the one who is uh, split evenly between U.S. and internationals. So which is better? Well, if the one, the four-fund solution makes it more likely for you to maintain the discipline than having all 10 different asset classes, so be it. Now, I'm working on a, a project, I mentioned it briefly earlier in this podcast, that would make it possible to rebalance your whole portfolio once a year in about five minutes or less. And uh, I think you're going to like that. Stay tuned. And oh, if I may just make one very quick sales pitch. Many of you, hundreds of you, have purchased the $10 two and a half hour uh, video. Thank you. I have gotten great feedback on the video. Thank you for that. Uh, my goal is for you to buy one. Yes, the foundation makes $3 when you buy a $10 video. That's the deal with the Washington State Society of CPAs. But that goes to the foundation to help do the things that we do to educate people. But I want you to be able to get that for a buck or to think of it like you only paid a buck because I want you to find nine other people you can share it with. And these would be people that you are willing to share your email address and the password. I said the password, not your password, because if you're going to share it, you don't want it to be your private password. You want it to be something that you're willing to share because I want to get this into the hands of as many investors as we possibly can, keeping in mind that it's built for people who already know what a mutual fund is. It's not the, the first level of entry. They should read mutual funds for dummies before they watch this. And if they do, I think it'll all make sense and will help them be a better investor. Thanks for listening, and uh, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing podcasts from some interviews I've done recently uh, with some people I thought asked some terrific questions. So uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.